We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. fans tearing their hair out trying to figure out which Spurs and Chelsea stars they're going to root for in the All-Star game. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Alex Smith. You can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. Yeah, that's right. Todd Bowley, who has shown, I-, I think, real restraint in the way he's coming to English football and taking time to understand the game and the cultures and the traditions. Nah, come on, Leroy Jenkins, baby. Here we go. Let's get in there and be all American up in this place. And, uh, you know, I-, I think his idea for a North-South uh, Premier League All-Star game, obviously a good one. Um, and, you know, all you have to do is try to figure out whether you're going to have more fun rooting for Harry K- or, <laughs> or or maybe you're going to be more of the variety of wanting to root for, like, Kai Havertz. Right? I mean, like, there's no scenario Kai where this works. Kai Havertz isn't getting in the All-Star team. Th- that's, a fa- no. that's, a fair, that's a fair point. The mystery man, not yet introduced, but already bringing the A-level content that we have asked him to come onto the show for. And, and yeah, it's funny because there was a part of me that's like, Todd doesn't get it. No one wants to root for Harry Kane lined up next to Bukayo Saka and Mason Mount. And then I was like, oh, wait. That's England fans. Like, how do you do that every international break? But yeah, we'll 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 talk about this and more with James Benj here, uh, not just from CBS, but also from a friendship and longtime relationship and someone who I'm very proud to call a friend and part of the Arsenal community. Uh, hello, James Benj. Hello, thanks for having me. It's, it's been a little while, but always a pleasure to chat with you guys. Yeah, it's funny. Sometimes I think the people that you just sort of know as a person we've had a chance to hang out in person and i have a great deal of respect and admiration for you and, and sometimes you're like you, you forget to ask those people on the podcast right because you you're having like i listen to you when you're on other pods or i read your work and I'm like oh it's james it's james and then you're like wait a minute i gotta get james on here so we can have a chat so thank you for coming and like the nature of my job at the moment is i never get to talk about or write about arsenal as much as i'd like so mm. I'm sat here waiting for people to invite me onto podcasts. And if you're listening and you have a podcast, just message me. I've not <laughs> got much on at the moment. You, you are in for it, my friend. Let me tell you, um, I don't know if you know this, but you know that uh, – 
telescope they shot out in space recently, and it's been sending all these pictures back yeah. of the millions of galaxies and stars. Actually, if you zoom in close enough, all of those lights are actually the recording lights from an Arsenal podcast <laughs> being recorded around the universe. There's that many of them. Um, but they're all wonderful, and we love everybody who makes them. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think... I want to start with you just talking general Premier League stuff. And, and Clive's going to be here and Paul's going to be here and we'll get into more of the Arsenal stuff and look ahead to Brentford and all that. But I think, l- let's talk Todd Bowley and Chelsea for a minute. I mean, he floats this idea of an all-star game out there. And look, on the one hand, I get it. Like, in America, there are these all-star breaks. They can be fun. They obviously create a lot of revenue for the league. And and if you're American and you're in sport... You're thinking revenue, you're thinking resources. I mean, that that's just sort of the way they're wired, and I get it. Uh, I say they, I mean the owners. I obviously am aware that I am American. I don't mean they Americans. I mean they billionaires who own football clubs, which I am not yet in that club. Um, James, I'm curious, like when when someone comes into the English game in this manner, I don't get like angry. I just think it's funny. But do, do you find yourself having that sort of angry response of, you know, here comes a foreigner who doesn't understand our game, or is it more of just a, a silly sideshow when someone comes up with these kind of ideas? No, I would I would certainly lean towards the latter. I, I find it very funny, not least because, you know, Todd Bowley has got an absolute pasting over the last few weeks. Personally, you know, I think rightly so. I think the way in which they sacked Thomas Tuchel was uh, asked backwards I mean, not necessarily the sacking of Tuchel. This isn't a mm. Chelsea podcast. We don't need to dive too deep into that. But mostly <laughs> just spending sort of 15 million euros or whatever it was to buy a player for Thomas Tuchel a week, and like a game before you sacked him. Yeah, You know, you would think as as the owner, sporting director, chairman, and, you know, he's doing all those jobs at the moment. You'd think after that, and presumably having picked up a newspaper or had someone pick up a newspaper on your behalf, you would go, right, I'm not I'm not looking great at the moment. What I should do is just not say anything stupid. And I mean, so like, I don't think the All-Star Game is a stupid idea. I really like the idea, but I'm increasingly discovering I'm in a vast minority here. Mm. I think it would just be fun. Um, and the, only, the other thing I like about it, sidetrack here, I really like the idea that players that maybe aren't going to get in the PFA team of the year because there's there's such a like stratospheric standard that maybe they would get some sort of acknowledgement. I don't like the North South thing, but I think I would be great if we were talking about Bukayo Saka as having had an all-star season last season, which he did, but you know, he plays the same position as salary's never getting in the PFA team of the year. But Bowley, it 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 just is it's tossed off. He, mm. you know, you you see him sitting there looking like someone that's gonna try and sell you volcano insurance. Um <laughs> coming up with these these half-baked ideas talking about 200 million pounds or 200 million dollars for the EFL yeah it had a slightly Boris Johnson I saw a tweet <laughs> go around that was like we give 200 million to the EFL let's thingy it back or whatever I, that look to me is baffling yeah I, I I guess I would say this a lot of his visionary ideas are being dismissed quickly um the 443 formation is one <laughs> that people laughed at and it obviously just makes sense. If you have an extra man out there, you're going to have an advantage. Um, you know, we'll just have to change the laws to make that happen. But all kidding aside, like I, I can get behind the idea that an all-star game sounds fun in a disposable sporting culture, right? In a casual sporting culture. And I think America does have a lot of diehard sports fans. Do not get me wrong. I count myself among them. 
But there is a more casual sporting culture in America where people might tune into an all-star game who don't watch you know, a, a game of baseball or don't watch a game of basketball or are casually invested. Football's lifeblood, I think, is the diehard loyalist fans, those of us who eat, sleep, and drink this sport. And what makes it so special is its tribalism. And I don't want to see the Arsenal players sharing the pitch with Chelsea and and Spurs players. One, thing's he, one of the things he gets wrong with this proposal about it being North versus South is the very idea that actually the people we hate the most are the people closest to us, yeah. right? It, the London teams are the ones we have the biggest problems with. I mean, to be fair, don't like United very much. So, you know, they're always well. They're a London that. team, though. Obviously, on, on <laughs> That's fan base. Touche. Yeah, if you go based on where their fans are located, he says doing an Arsenal podcast from the middle of the United States. Um, but I, I do think that it, it sort of misunderstands the culture and the spirit of the sport and the tribalism that fuels it. And while they're like, the irony, right, is I'd watch a European All Star game. Right, the the stars of PSG and Madrid and but right, I just don't want it in our league. So I I get that I'm sort of a hypocrite. I understand how you could come into the sport and see it making sense. The other thing I'll point out is that you look at a sport like the NFL, for example, that has a sort of all star game called the All Pro Game. Mm-hmm. They have to put it at the end of the season to avoid injury and, and burnout and th- things like that. And a lot of the players opt out of it to protect themselves. Certainly, Premier League football is not the violent sport that the NFL is. But in much the same way, I think trying to put an extra game in the middle of the season, can you imagine the uproar if a a key player got injured playing in an all-star game in January or something? It just, I think, I think that what it reflects is not so much uh, that it's a terrible idea conceptually to a general viewing public. I think it reflects a very superficial understanding of the sport that he now owns a big piece of, which is what's really interesting to me. Whether it's the four four three stuff or wanting to go get Cristiano Ronaldo or the players he did sign or your point about sacking Tuchel right after having bought him a player or having a proposal for a game that on the surface may seem, oh, just, it's money. Let's just get money. Why don't we make more money? Here, here's an all-star game. that It misunderstands the sport and the sporting calendar. All of this comes back down to my point, which is I think that Chelsea as long as Todd Bowley is going to pull an Abramovich and run that club in his vision is going to struggle. And I'm curious if ultimately that's the story for you here, which is that this is a guy who at least right now does not appear to have his hands around what he's bought, but does seem to want to have his hands on the tiller. And that that's a good thing for non-Chelsea supporters in my view. <laughs> and, I, and I think we kind of view people like Bowley, Cronky, the Glazers, through that prism of sort of, well, they must know what they're doing because they've come from from US sports. But kind of as you as you explained there, the world there couldn't be more more different. Really, you know, you, you have a certain guarantee. You are able to keep your revenue. I mean, I I don't know a lot about baseball. I have to say, but I I would suspect you can keep your revenue pretty static, regardless of where you finish within the uh, within the pyramid system. Chelsea, and we we see this with Arsenal you know, their revenue is significantly dependent on whether they can secure one of the top four places in a ludicrously competitive battle. And it certainly will be this season for those places. And I think that that is an almighty culture shock. And, you know, everything we've seen from the Super League, from, you know, the the, the way in which the, uh, the Premier League Big Six push for more control of revenue, push for more spaces in the Champions League. It's all about 
maximizing revenue on these assets and minimizing risk you know what can they do to hammer out the downside risk i mean we're talking about probably a fifth english place for champions league teams quite regularly if they're topping the coefficient table that is that is a real struggle because they kind of have to get their heads out of a system where you know everything is everything is pretty much guaranteed and you have to be innovative and creative in terms of how you run a club, I I agree with you that right now there's very little to convince me that that Chelsea are going to be well run because Todd Bowley doesn't know what he's doing really and can't get out of his way. I mean, he got he, he certainly didn't get any bargains in the summer transfer window, did he? You know, paying I think Kukurea is a very good player, but sixty million for them that's a huge price. Same with Fafana. Um, same with uh, Aubameyang, really. I mean, the pre- I, mean, yeah, I know everyone. Yeah. Everyone slaughtered Arsenal, kind of, and to an extent, you know, there's an argument to say how are you letting how are you letting this player go for nothing, and then he's worth eight figures six months later. But equally, Chelsea should be looking at that and going, how was this player worth nothing six months ago? Now is worth um, eight figures, and I, d- I don't know if you've seen Chelsea's first two games. Um, he looks like the Abamyang that left Arsenal. Yeah, like yeah. Do, I, I mean, Broya came on, and the first thing you thought was, "Wow, this is what the Chelsea front line looks with a a pacey player in behind," and he's just replaced Abamyang. Yeah, it it the the thing I would say right is that whatever your views on the Cronkies, it, it does seem like they know what they don't know in the sense mm. that they are not they never came in to just own the room, you know, run their mouth, dominate the sport. There are drawbacks to that, right? The silent stand thing, the, you know, we care, do you think? Are you involved? Are you invested not just financially, but emotionally and, and intellectually in our success? And that can lead to negligence, right? It can lead to allowing people like Raul Sanyehi, for example, to start tanking your club. But the flip side of it is what you get with Bowley, which is you have someone who doesn't really understand what he's doing, but still wants to be the main the main driving force behind the policies and the, and the moves that the club makes. And that can be incredibly harmful to the squad, the club, the stature of the organization. And so the one thing I will say for Bully is I think he's appointed a good manager. There are some rumors yeah. now, directors of football that they may be interested in that I think you'd certainly have to say they look like on the surface would be good appointments. If he lands on the right people and gives them the latitude to do what they need to do, then this conversation may look a little short-sighted. I, I accept. But at least for right now, I am willing to have a laugh at his expense. I'm willing to have a laugh at their expense. And I think at a minimum, when you spend the kind of money he spent on the kind of trash that he's brought in that by and large doesn't make the, the squad much better and they look right now like they're going to be struggling to be very good this season, I'll take any window of time where Chelsea don't have it firing on all cylinders, right? Because with their resources, any season you get where they're not very good is a season you'll take. Whether Potter can turn that around, I have a lot of faith in his talent, but I I am still a believer that squad sack managers. Um, so it really just depends on whether he's got something he can work with there. Just and uh, just one final word yeah. on that, and and yeah. I guess maybe as you know from your nationality, you can appreciate this as well. Uh, just a final thought on Bowley. It is baffling that effectively he let Christian Pulisic and uh, Christian Pulisic, among others, sack uh, Thomas Tuchel. I mean, I know we all say this, these things about how you know the squad ultimately, as you were saying, the squad sack managers and players sack players ultimately are more important than managers. But like the guys, like your fifth or sixth best attacker, 
just because yeah. he's got the you know coming from the same country as you doesn't mean he gets to mow Captain and America, baby. <laughs> Captain America going to lead us to the World Cup in, like, in, the, in the winter. And I, and I agree with you that Potter's <laughs> a great manager, but so is Thomas Ducal. You don't sack him because a mid-tier Premier League forward is unhappy he's not playing. Yeah, so. I mean, it, it's tough, right? Because like I do think that Tuchel's probably a pretty good manager. I do think he has a history of falling out with yeah. all the places he has gone. So I, 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 I accept that maybe Tuchel had to go. I, I wish Potter hadn't taken the job because hating Graham Potter is not something I really wanted to be invested in. But, you know, we roll with the punches. Um, uh, in, in other Premier League news, I mean, obviously Arsenal topped the table where they will be all season, but a team that I think has a really good shout at finishing second behind Arsenal is Manchester City. I am curious to get your take on the goal-scoring robot that is Erling Holland, another pretty sensational goal in the Champions League this midweek. Um, you know, they all look like tap-ins with Holland. But what we know from data and what we know from just watching football over time is that if they all look like tap-ins, the player's doing something pretty special. I'm curious how shocked or not shocked you are at the immediate impact he's made and the irony of narrative because coming out of the the um, Charity Shield game, right, it was Darwin Nunez announces himself, flop Holland misses, and it took about a week for that to be wrong, and it's been wrong ever since, and I'm curious your take on uh, on that situation. Yeah, I mean, I certainly came in, before the Community Shield, I didn't watch the Community Shield, I respect my free time too much, um, <laughs> but I came in beforehand. And it's a trophy if we like, win it. Oh yeah, absolutely. Okay. okay. Um, <laughs> you look at things like how much he sort of was outperforming his his XG. And you kind of think about how Man City play and the, the, the pretty limited space that opponents leave in behind. Um, and by the way, in terms of outperforming his XG, I was looking at this last night, he's outperforming it by 26%. Like mm. for, for the people that aren't interested, someone like Messi, I think is for the, for the best parts of his career, was it about 10%? Better yeah. than XG. And, you know, obviously... So what you're saying is best. Holland's about to go on a drought, a goal-scoring drought. Can we get oh. that City game back on, please? <laughs> reversion reversion, <laughs> to, reversion the to the mean, baby. What a spectacular <laughs> reversion to the mean. But I think we, I, I kind of, like, on reversion to the mean, I thought it would be a bit of a drop. I still thought he'd be around, you know, golden boot winning levels. I just didn't think he'd have yeah. it wrapped up by October. Um, the, the guy is... I think what I didn't appreciate was the, the physical excellence, the physical uh, dominance not just of, you know, his height and his, but his speed. And like you were saying about the tap-ins, I only really saw this in the West Ham game because I was really closely watching him, but I also haven't seen City in the flesh yet, which is something I want to change quite soon. But you just could see so many runs that, you know, the angle for the pass wasn't right. And if it's not right for Bernardo, it's not right for De Bruyne, it's not right for anyone. But he was just making them. And I think he probably knows that, you know, that one, I'm not getting the ball, but I'll keep testing and I'll keep testing. And one time, you know, it will be the most tiny of mistakes. If you go back and watch those first two uh, goals he scored against West Ham, you have players like Ben Johnson and um, whoever it is, Craig Dawson or whoever. And it's just like millimetres. The, the line is just yeah. not quite yeah. perfect. And he has the everything required to punish that those slight imperfections. Um, and I don't think we've seen many strikers pure strikers like that in quite a while that are just always throwing themselves in the box always asking that question always you know giving themselves a chance you can be perfect against Haaland and you know from the clips I've seen I thought Borussia Dortmund for a long time were yeah one slight mistake or the fact that you're not like nine foot tall and he will punish that um 
it's brilliant. I just want I want to see the guy in person, not against Arsenal. I'd love no, it to no. be well, those two games. It doesn't sound like you're going to see him against Arsenal anytime soon because our City game uh, from October, I believe, postponed so we can play PSV, which means we're probably going to play City, I think, in January, something like that, and then again in April. Uh, I'm sure six points. But the the interesting thing is, and I, I think it shows you the level that Holland is versus like a Nunez because neither of those players, in my view, really suit the style of football of the teams that they came into. Mm-hmm. Holland is not elite on the ball distributing things. I mean, he's not bad at it, but he's not elite at it. And when you think of some of the players that City have used at center forward, I think they were all a little bit more of a linking, connective players, players who could play a final ball into a teammate, be more involved in that respect. Darwin Nunez, similarly, right? No one's going to mistake him for Firmino. Like, he cannot trap a ball. He cannot pass a ball. But he's fast. He can strike the ball. He can score goals. And I think the players have similarities in that respect. The difference is Holland is so elite that whatever the failings in his game or deficiencies, deficiencies is too strong a word, but the qualities he doesn't possess that Man City might have missed are massively outweighed by the goal-scoring contributions he makes. Whereas at Liverpool, I think you see Nunez struggling to be a fit for their system and because he's not Holland levels at scoring, you know, multiple goals every single game, I think they got a problem there. And it's funny because Clive and I did a scouting video uh, for Nunez. I think it was last January, if you can remember back to a day when we were actually linked with him. And I was all excited, fired up to see this amazing player. And like, yeah, don't get me wrong. Quick can strike the ball. But we were pretty wide-eyed at his close control, his passing. You know, not not a player with the technical level I would have expected for the, the prices being mooted at the time. So... When you look at those comparisons, do you see, unlike Holland at City, whose goal scoring is outweighed to any drawbacks to his game, do you see a player in Nunez at Liverpool who's maybe struggling for that very reason? Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And I remember doing similar in the summer and just kind of looking at, at, at what you saw before he joined Liverpool. And it felt like he just got hot at the right moment. But the, the, like you say, there wasn't that rounded nature to his game that, that Liverpool have become so used to, whether it's Firmino or even Jota, who is so, you know, he's, he's a winger masquerading as a, a forward or a little bit of both, however you want to view it. Like Liverpool have become used to a, a player that can do something in that in that nine role in terms of build-up. And the team can adapt and Nunez can adapt and like the, the physical attributes and everything mean that if he does just get a little bit better, and he's still getting loads of shots up as well. He's clearly got that eye for what to do in the penalty area. If he can just get a little bit better, given time, like it will be fine. But I agree that, like you say, the he, he isn't of that sort of freakish standard <laughs> that, that right, you can yeah. gloss over every <laughs> single every single deficiency. You know, it is an issue at the moment that Klopp doesn't seem to feel entirely convinced. That, that Nunez can can lead the line yet. I thought they were a lot better with, with Jota even than they were with with yep. Nunez. So um, it's kind of good then to, you know, if you swing, swing it back to an Arsenal perspective, it's good to have someone that can do a little bit of everything, even if, you know, maybe they've not got the elite. Well, at the moment they look like they do. They have the elite shot-getting qualities of a Nunez and a, uh, and a Haaland. I mean, Gabriel yep. Jesus wouldn't swap him for anyone except Haaland. No, no, absolutely. And so... I guess that leads me to the bad place, which is if Liverpool are potentially maybe at the end of the cycle and they've been pushed so hard so many games for so many seasons, 
taking its toll on players. New players may be struggling to integrate a bit. City may run away with this league in the end. They haven't done it yet. Chelsea, probably in a down cycle. I certainly think United's resurgence overstated by the fact they got a couple of counterattacking goals against Arsenal. We saw them struggle um, in Europe. Obviously, I think they lost to Sociedad in the Europa League last week. Um, that leaves us to the bad place, which is, I, I guess, where we can start to wrap up our our part of this conversation, which is Tottenham. I'm not convinced. I have never been convinced that Conte Ball can win a league, can can even really take you near those heights, because I still think a team that doesn't want the ball, that isn't elite at shot creation, that is going to try to counterattack you, is going to find too many games where they just don't break down the opposition, don't get what they need. Um, and I think... When I when I look at the way they play and their style of play, of course, the funny thing is, I think they're going to be good in big games because the teams that will come out and attack them will let them do the thing they're good at, which is kick it long to Kane or kick it long to Son, win the first ball, play a good second ball, get in quickly and try to score. I don't I don't know, James. Like I'm not as worried, but on some of the WhatsApp groups I'm in or Twitter or Discord, there's there's little whispers of worry. Where are you on on Tottenham well, as a threat? That they well, could win the title. I I mean, look, I, I won't name Clive, but I think he's worried about it. Um, but I don't want to humiliate no. the person that is Clive that is worried about it. So I won't name Clive. But he's just worried. It's why his friends call him whiskers. I guess I guess what I'm asking you is, do you think this that that team has the staying power to to again be a threat to us for a top four position and then also potentially push beyond that? What, what what's your take on on Conte Spurs? I mean, Other than that, they're shit, four. and they get battered everywhere they go. <laughs> threat for top four, definitely. Kind of for some of the reasons you laid out there as well. I think mm -hmm. a lot of other teams are in quite a iffy place. Although I, I don't, I, I'm not sure about Liverpool. I'd rather be the last person saying they're great than the the first person saying they've fallen off the cliff. Um, but what's what intrigues me about them of late? The start to the season it has been a bit plodding it has been a bit heavy going and you know kind of like Arsenal they've not had a huge number of tests they obviously did they weren't great against Chelsea away they they got very lucky there I thought if if Heung-Min Son and it's eight games it's a tiny sample size but it hasn't looked great as a as a, as a raw finisher if Heung-Min Son isn't the Heung-Min Son of old and it can happen and like what we're seeing are the signs you'd expect to see if Hyung Min Son was was not the player he was at 26, 27. If Harry Kane, if it doesn't just quite click, you know, so much of what Kane does well beyond taking penalties and scoring in derbies is that link play with Son. And like, if that's kind of off, it's not like Spurs have a huge amount else going for them. They don't have, as you said, the midfield that can just say, we will we will dominate this game. We will kill you with possession for 30 minutes. You know, the next 30 minutes, we're 1-0 up. You'll hardly see the ball. I mean, they do have more options this season. Obviously, you have to say Kulisevsky has been a really excellent addition. Richarlison will Richarlison his way to 15 or so Premier League goals or however yeah. many. And so I think I kind of still have them penciled in for, for top four and I think it will be very close between Spurs and Arsenal in terms of final league positioning but I I do think I can see Spurs like as you say they'll take points off the big teams but I think there will be games where they are just driven to distraction by a, a Southampton or a Villa and they can't break them down and it's yep. nil nil 
Um, and maybe sometimes they will because you've got Kane and Son. But I think there'll be drop, more drop points there than an Arsenal will who look like a team that can kind of go to the lower half of the Premier League and just swipe them aside. We'll see about that. So, yeah, I mean, title? No, not having that. No, I do no. think much as, much as I hate to uh, burst the, the Arsenal bubble, I do think that City are going to pull away very soon. I mean, from an Arsenal perspective, it would be great for morale for the sense of the club if they could just still be in touch come Christmas or well, not, it's not even Christmas is it it's two months can you yeah. just keep can you <laughs> take just a look at some of the games months? in those two months though <laughs> it's a big ask yeah it's a big ask yeah yeah, yeah it's gonna be yeah. tough but like no Spurs title not a chance well the good news is we can stop all the hypothesizing that we've had to do over the last two weeks I mean it, it it's so weird it gives me shades of of the pandemic again, just the way the football was on and then it was off again. It's It's been a time that we were learning about our team and getting excited about it. And then and then it was taken away. It comes back this weekend. I feel bad because we're, we're, we're wrapping up our section and you started the pod by saying, you don't get to talk about Arsenal much and I've had you on and <laughs> haven't talked about Arsenal at all. So I'll give you 90 seconds to, to tell me your thoughts ahead of a really tricky fixture at the weekend. Um, away to Brentford, obviously... To whatever extent we might have some rust on us, they would too. So do you have any uh, easily summarized thoughts on on what could be a difficult away trip? Oh, I think it will be difficult. I think it would be really good if Thomas Partey is able to be involved from the off, obviously back in full training. And I think, you know, that helps a lot. And you've got to find the silver lining that, that's been in the cloud of the last few weeks. And I think it's that. Also, let's be honest, that Brentford game loomed large over all of last season. There was so much internal disappointment about the way in which Arsenal were instructed to play. Um, but also obviously that, you know, the way it started that really frustrating narrative. And I think to an extent, as much as it's just playing a, a lower mid table team away from home, I think there could be a few, a win here and a convincing win would really put a few demons to rest and uh, would change the story about Arsenal. So, it will be tough, but I think if you go there and win, it's going to be a, a lovely little fill-up going into the international break. Yeah, I guess the one upside, whatever rust you think is on the team, we aren't coming into this game having played in midweek and them having had the week to train, right? Like both yeah. both teams will have had plenty of time to prepare for it. So we're we're going to be evenly matched in terms of preparation and and rest. So that's that could be a benefit. All right, uh, Clive and Paul chomping at the bit to talk Arsenal. James doesn't really care to talk Arsenal, so we didn't really spend any time doing that. I am kidding, and I am sorry, James. I, I probably should have mentioned beforehand that uh, we weren't going to necessarily get a chance to to get into it too much, but we will have you on much sooner next time and definitely to talk specifically Arsenal. Sound good? My pleasure. Yeah, no, it's, it's always good fun chatting with you guys. Yeah, it's great to see you. James on Twitter, at James Benj. Please follow him there. We're going to uh, bring in Clive and Paul. But first... But first, Champions League Soccer is back, streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Nine months of heart-stopping. Hold your breath. Oh, no, wait. He's reading the wrong script. This is the right one. UEFA Champions League Soccer is streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Nine months of heart-stopping. Hold your breath. Exhilaration is underway with the biggest stars, top teams, and craziest fan bases across Europe. Watch every match from the group stage through the knockout rounds as Benzema and Real Madrid defend their title against Liverpool, Man City, Chelsea, PSG, Barcelona, and more in soccer's biggest club competition. So don't miss a single sweat-soaked second of regulation time, stoppage time, and extra time and stream every match of the UEFA Champions League live exclusively on Paramount Plus and also the Europa League because Arsenal are in that and that's actually the real competition that everybody wants to watch. Now, this podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. You know, uh, 
we talk about better help on this podcast and we talk about mental health, which is really important, a conversation that we should be having. But I think sometimes we think about uh, mental health in terms of something you do when there's a problem. And so we focus on the problem instead of the solution. And I think it's one of the things that I, I've been learning as I learn about BetterHelp and they send me some information about what they do is really thinking about using this, this help as a solution system, right? And what I mean by that is focusing on things in your life that you view as challenges and ways that you can solve that if you had the support of a therapist, of someone who can listen to the challenges you have and work on solution strategies, right? So while there are certainly uh, ways you can use BetterHelp for you know very serious and professional mental health support uh, and therapy, there's also ways you can use it to find solutions to challenges in your life. Um, you know, and I, I've said this so many times, but whether it's eating right or going to the gym, we think about working on ourselves every day, and then we just ignore the biggest aspect of our happiness and our success as a human being, which is our mental health. Um, I did use therapy, uh, go back a while now, probably 15, 16 years ago, not because I was in crisis, but because I knew that I could just be doing better in life in, in understanding myself and some of the things I was going through. One of the best decisions I've ever made. BetterHelp uh, gives you the opportunity to access licensed professional therapists with specialties in an area of need that may not be available in your area. It's less expensive than in-person therapy. You can do it camera on, camera off. You can mat get matched in a day with a professional. So, uh, you know, I think this is something that everybody should at least be thinking about. And if you'd like to give it a try, when you want to be a better problem solver, therapy can get you there. Visit betterhelp.com, betterhelp.com slash Arsenal Vision, betterhelp.com slash Arsenal Vision today to get 10% off your first month. That's better H-E-L-P slash Arsenal Vision. And last but certainly not least, it is the one hiring partner that gets you the talent you need where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills. Indeed, it's a powerful hiring partner that can help you do it all. There's lots of great tools. One that I want to call out today is Instant Match. With Instant Match, over 80% of employers get quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match their job description the moment they sponsor a job, according to Indeed data. And remember, Indeed is the one place where you only pay for applications that meet your must-have requirements. Okay? Instant Match, why wouldn't you do this? You've got these people applying to jobs. They don't know what job to apply to. They don't know who, which hiring partner is the right, or which um, job is the right job for them. Instant Match that's going to get the candidates that fit your needs to your job and vice versa. It just makes sense. Indeed, just makes sense. And it's an unbelievably powerful hiring partner delivering four times more hires than all other job sites combined, according to Town Nest. So sign up for Indeed now, right? You do it. You sign up. You get the credit towards your first sponsored job. This is, this is all the stuff I've been talking to you about. It's time to do it. Visit Indeed.com slash BlueWire to learn more. Claim your credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Time's going to apply. Need a hire? You need Indeed! Is that enough of that? Indeed. Nailed it. Clive's on Twitter. Clive BFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. And Paul's on Twitter. Pause my pants. I'll pause. Woohoo. Woohoo, indeed, Clive. Welcome back to you. Welcome back to football. Welcome back, everybody. The season gets to start up again, and we get to go to Brentford, and we are going to talk Arsenal, and we actually have some stuff we can talk about, and that is the challenge of Brentford. And the first thing I want to ask you, Clive, is when the ball kicks off Sunday, 6 a.m. my time, which is a beautiful time for, for football, are we going to see an Arsenal that benefited from this rest, or are we going to see an Arsenal that struggles to 
regain the level before we before we took a break. How do you see this going? Beneficial rest or rust we have to knock off early? I think we've had an opportunity to do what we've all done, which is like we're forced to take a break and we've had to sort of mentally reset. So it's always, you know, everyone always worries about the physical fatigue of players, but it's a, it's a massive mental fatigue as well. And to, to those players to be coming out of that football bubble for a little while and just reset and look at their goals, look at their fixtures ahead, look at how we're going to approach it. I, I think that would be interesting. I think from a playing point of view, having that time to recharge is, is important. So I think we're going to get a mentally refreshed team as well as physically refreshed. For a coaching point of view, we have a new fixture list ahead of us with a big team called Man City ripped out of it in the near future, but another team put in. And so now we're going to see basically playing every three, four days for the next month or so. You know, so that's going to be a challenge. Back to my five subs thing, I think that's going to be, this is going to be the time when it really does kick in. And because, you know, I'm looking at fixed list and certain players, if they play nine minutes every single one, they're just not going to make it, right? You know, the ones that come to our mind that, that suffer with injuries more than others, they're just not going to make it. So how we share that time, I think it's going to be important. So if I'm a coach right now, I am literally planning this game surgically the next few weeks minutes for him minutes for and working out who's who and where they are in their load etc so sports science loading players uh, trying not to overload players pre-world cup there's a lot to come in the next few weeks and i think it's going to be a real challenge yeah I, i i think ultimately however frustrated i am with this pause in the season and however nervous i am given my proclivity for nervousness about the players being rusty and not being able to hit the level we were at before we we took this break. Realistically, a couple of good things have happened for Arsenal here. First of all, Thomas Party gets a chance to get more fit. Emil Smith-Rowe gets a chance to get more fit. Some of these players that are already starting to pile up some minutes get a chance to get some rest. Mikel can work on some things because while our attack looks scintillating, maybe he wants to tighten up the way we're counter-pressing to keep the counter-attacks from biting us in the butt. Was Ramsdale fully fit? Was Odegaard fully fit? Well, they probably are now. And then, oh, by the way, in the middle of this brutal run we have upcoming, how about we just pluck out a Manchester City game and pop in a PSV game? That's not too bad, is it? To take a little breather in the middle of what is going to be a grueling run. So all things being equal, Paul, this should be a good thing for us. This should allow us to have... Any of the bumps and bruises that were maybe becoming a problem, heal up one game, then two weeks again of international football. Then we also lose the City game um, in October. So overall, do you think it's fair to say that while we all tend to always worry that the football world is out to get Arsenal, that maybe, just maybe, if if we're really willing to be honest about it, this will have wound up being a good thing for what we want to achieve this season? Uh, Yeah, I think on a relative basis, we would have wanted the season to keep going as it was unchanged. We were on a roll. So, like, you're on a roll. Okay, we just lost to Man United. But apart from that, we were on a roll. Um, We were on such a good roll that we kind of brushed off, uh, walked off the Man United defeat psychologically and were ready to go as a fan base. I mean, that takes some doing. We mu- we must be in a pretty good place if if we lose at Old Trafford and and say yeah that was one of those things. Uh, mostly this was good. We need to tighten this up. We understood why. We rolled on. So of course, 
given our our choice, our options, we would have kept things as they were and kept rolling. Well, you know, the gods stepped in, threw us a couple of curveballs, and uh, that's the same for every team. So really what it comes down to is can we take advantage of it? Because there are advantages for all the reasons you just said. We can recharge, realign, get people up to fitness, tweak some things. There are a couple of clubs who really love having had this break, but so be it. Maybe they won't take full advantage of the full advantage that was there for them. Maybe there was a a bigger delta they could have had, but maybe they just won't take advantage of it. Uh, we got to take full advantage of it. Um, if Thomas Party is back, get him reintegrated, get him fit. At least it gives us a chance to work out where we're at with him. The problem with the game every three days is... Um, like you don't do much between those three, four days between a game. You the players recover, uh, they have a an easy fitness session. Then you have one session before the next game. You can't you can't move all your pieces around on the board, do different things, try some wacky stuff, try out your new pregame routine. If you're Arteta on a unicycle with a clown horn and uh, some poppers and some dancing. Uh, uh, can can girls or whatever like you got to go with your standard speech basically um and across the board you don't have the chance so like there's real opportunity for us to re- consolidate we've had a great preseason a great early season uh momentum but we can still things to take the i'm sure if you gave arteta the chance to say can we can you do a quick reset and think take things up a level um he'd have been saying, well, I want the momentum, but there are things I do want to do with it. There are always things you want to do with your team, with your squad. Um, And I'm sure Clive as a coach uh, can talk to that. But like in life, you always want a break to, but you never get the chance. So we got a chance. We got to take advantage of it. We'll see. We'll see what we can take out of it. And in theory, a break like this should benefit a team that's well coached and a team that has more talent because you get your talent fit and you get your time on the training ground. And, you know, if you want to say, well, but it impacts you in terms of sharpness, it should theoretically impact everyone in terms of sharpness. I mean, we would have normally been facing Brentford this weekend, having played last Thursday, Sunday, Thursday. Now we face them having had a couple of weeks off. Oh, by the way, there's some weekend football with teams that did have to play midweek who are going to have to play again this weekend. It's also interesting because there's no United game, I believe. There's no Liverpool game. Is that right? Correct. No Chelsea game. And look, it's about the points you score after 38 games, not after six or seven. But points on the board are points on the board. There's another big opportunity to not just put points on the board going into the international break in our toughest period of the season – but a chance to then put those points on the board in a weekend where some of the other top four challengers aren't playing and will have to go make those up somewhere during a crowded period of the season. So, Clive, it is all about getting the job done at Brentford, who are pretty good, as it turns out. They beat United 4-0 at home. Um, They are a team that, you know, they beat us opening night of last season, but you wouldn't recognize that, that lineup if I read it out to you. 
I think there's a chance to put some demons to rest here. We all remember the yeah. experience of going to Brentford and the commentators dancing a jig with the fans and singing the songs with them and everybody rooting against Arsenal on opening night of the season while we're missing players for COVID that, frankly, if it had happened a couple months later, would have been a postponement. Um, now we have a chance to right those wrongs. I think Arteta's definitely got um, his pre-match whiteboard stuff pre-written for him to some extent. So it's, um, yeah, it's it's a chance... Clive, to, to right some wrongs, and I'm, I'm curious if you think that that's maybe an angle that Mikel Arteta might might draw on in his pre-match comments as as he gets his, his men yeah, ready well, to go fight. Well, you, you would, wouldn't you? you know? And um, I think that was not... If you look at that game, actually, data-wise, Elliot, it, it was actually not the worst game in the world. I remember it. I remember looking no. back, and mm-hmm. uh, we dominated the game. We just got bullied in key moments, right? And um, everyone enjoyed it. We weren't ready for the game. We weren't prepared. We had sickness, illness, etc. Players coming off and bad players. From Don't Olympics. forget bad players. <laughs> yeah, we also had players that weren't ready to play. You know, Martin Eddie shouldn't yeah, have played yeah. in that game. You know, just fresh from the Olympics. Allegan up front. Yeah, and you know, we never seen before. Saka wasn't able to play, but ended up coming on. So there were so many things wrong. Let's not go there, right? And the signings weren't in yet. It's different preparation time. I think we've had. I got to stop you just for a second because Paul, Paul mentions Balogun up front, and I, I have to tell you. Only Neymar and 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 Mbappe have scored more goals than Fuller and Balogun uh, in league on this season. So he is one of the top three players in the world right now. So let's put a little respect on his name. Oh, by the way, Absolutely. Lone Watch and Academy Watch over on the Patreon side. Please go ahead, Clive. Yeah, oh, thank you. Uh, so yeah, I'm. But another little benefit, right? So of the, of this of the rest we've had, and, and I, I can't stress to you enough about the, the mental rest. William Saliba's come into our team, and we all we all love him, right? But he's still new to the league. He's new to the pressure, new to the goldfish bowl that he's in. He's had a chance to refresh a little bit. Because in that last game against Manchester United, he was twisted around of his boots a little bit, wasn't he? Twisted around, had a couple of decisions to make. And before the light shines on him, he's had a chance to have a rest. You know, then he can refresh. And I think there are benefits here. The, the benefits will be taken away later in the year. So Brentford, 4-3-3 team. Yeah, they are... What would you do with Ben Mee and Pontus Janssen in, the, in their back line? They're not very sprinty, right? So you're going to drop deep. You're going to protect your box. You might give us wide areas and say, cross it to us then, like Burnley do, potentially. But what Burnley, what Brentford do have is fast wingers on the outside and a point in attacking line and you they can reach and set the play and then progress up the pitch. They're not too bad. I had a brief look at the Leeds game, which they won 5-2, but Leeds dominated, you know, had more of the ball than them more influence, dominate possession a little bit more. It's going to be interesting to see what they do. They're, they're a club that we all sort of secretly like because of their approach and how they've done things. I think they're a model club to maximise their potential by using every marginal gain they can possibly manage. And their scouting is outstanding. You know, and I've known about Brentford for many years from academy days, and they were the ones that actually took their academy away and developed another way of doing things and so i think they're such a you know such a clever club you know so i've got a little bit of admiration for them but i want them to be smashed into the smithereens on the weekend obviously for uh, from an arsenal perspective yeah they've 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 done their good work for the uh for the premier league by beating uh united four nil so they can uh, they can take the rest of the season off. I think maybe, maybe they can come back to life for a Spurs game or a Chelsea or Liverpool game. But but that's it for for now. Um, it is interesting, Paul, because they are actually a pretty potent attack, right up near the top. Underlying metrics for attack, they obviously have a striker who can cause any defense problems. But defensively, more middle of the road, 
And I think it does set up interestingly because I think their somewhat fragile defense is going to get pushed back and tested regularly by Arsenal. And our somewhat leaky counter-attacking defense is going to get challenged by someone who will threaten you physically and and push you back and can run and can bully. And so I, I think in a lot of ways, it's, it's going to be a, a bit of a, an interesting referendum on the the stre- strengths and weaknesses of our team as we see it right now. I think we will see a lot of what makes us special, controlling possession, controlling territory, and testing their defense, and a lot of what leads us to have concerns for those of us who have concerns, which is how we handle the the long long ball, quick counterattacking opportunities that they're going to try to funnel to, to Tony. So, do you see the game playing out that way, or or have a sense of which of those two may may win the day? Um, so obviously they're playing at home, puts a little impetus on them to do something and to be proactive, which I don't think hurts us. Um, I I would be fairly confident about this game. Uh, obviously they have weapons, but, uh, this is not the back line they faced at home last year. Um, if, for example, we play Tomiyasu, Saliba, Gabrielle, uh, if I'm one of their attackers, Tony, uh, I'm not really fancying that. If we play party in midfield, really that's, if, if you're Tony and you're looking for weaknesses, uh, if we don't play party, you're looking at Sambi. Now, I think Sambi's doing a very good job. I'm very supportive of what he does. I think we can adjust to him. But like, if you're Tony, you're thinking, ooh, I hope Sambi's playing. There's going to be Pockets around that midfield, I'm going to win headers and challenges. Now, Sambi does all right on that stuff. I think his stats are actually half decent for winning headers and stuff. But still, if you're Tony and you have a, a knack for sensing a weakness, you're you're praying that it's a Sambi midfield, much as I quite uh, support the Sambi initiative. Um, so that's, that's kind of, I think, a pretty binary situation. If parties in in that midfield and say like Ben White is not a step down from Tomiyasu really as a player, um, but if you're Ivan Tony, you want to face Ben White more than Tomiyasu because Tomiyasu just never fucking loses. Now it's, there's not much in it. Putting Ben White, Ben White does other things obviously and uh, super cool on the ball and etc. But, uh, yeah, we put out Tomiyasu, Saliba, and Gabrielle. Um, I don't like that if I'm Ivan Tony. Uh, and I think down the other end, we're just so much a better team in terms of stretching them, creating opportunities. So, uh, be re- look, football has a random event generator built into mm-hmm. it. So, who knows what will happen? Who will get the first goal? Uh, you know, um, who gets an injury? Who this? Who that? So, uh, best laid plans of mice and men, but uh, on paper, like uh, I'm not particularly worried. I, I, I'm not walking off to the bank with the three points, but this is a matchup we should do well in. We're strong enough for, we should give them all kinds of problems. And the more they want to attack, uh, the more open uh, they can be for our attack. So yeah, that's really the one weakness, I think. I'll give you just a few numbers, a few data points to to back this up a little bit. So in terms of Brentford's attack, 10.2 expected goals this season, um, which 
you know, pretty good. Fifth place in, in that metric, wedged right between, I mean, Brighton, who are level on 10.2, actually, and just ahead of a team called Tottenham Hotspur, who are shit. So it gives you some perspective on where they are. In terms of expected goals allowed, 7.7. I mean, it is basically dead middle. Just worse than Newcastle, just better than Leeds. Um, so, you know, and to put it in perspective, by the way, Arsenal are second in that. You know, we, we think about our leaky defense because we've conceded some silly goals. We are second in the league in expected goals allowed. Um, you know, on, only Manchester City better and a, a decent little bit uh, ahead of Tottenham. I will say that Tony, who has five goals, one of them is a penalty. On non-penalty expected goals, he's at 1.8, and he scored four of them. So he's been pretty hot scoring. That hasn't been the case um, for him in the past necessarily. He is also, you know, taking about 2.3 shots per 90 the only reason I bring that up, good, not great. So if you care about data, what you see in Brentford is a good attacking team, a modest defending team, you know, middling defending team, and a striker who has run a little bit hot in front of goal, but maybe isn't like the all-conquering guy statistically. Having said that, if you watched him, you certainly see the physical threat he poses and he caused us problems in the reverse, in this fixture last season. In terms of players we're looking for here Clive, I'm I'm sort of I'm really interested to see, you know, obviously what we do lineup wise. But do we we don't have any news on Thomas Party yet, right? We don't know for sure. But no, we, we just know that he back? he he started training last week, mm-hmm. um, and he would have been touch and go for the Everton game. So that makes me think he's going to be fit for this game, right? So right. there's other, there's other things to think about. Um, I think he's been selected for the Ghana squad as captain. I'd expect that. Uh, the last international call-up before the World Cup. Will he play? Will it help for us not to play him? But he's going to go anyway. So it's going to be it's going to be an interesting one, really, what to do there. Paul's point about Tommy Asser's in my head, actually. Tommy Asser versus mm-hmm. White. It's still, you know, we haven't much to think about. So I've been thinking about our team more than other teams. And, and yeah, there is pluses and minuses for that. Ariel... Aerial ability of Tommy Asu is quite good. Ben White's quite good as well, particularly when he can see it from a distance and go on to it. But what I will say is that just little things I saw in the Zurich game, Tommy Asu definitely plays more as a fullback and he's slightly wider. I do think Ben White's positioning has really been quite really transformational for this team alongside Zinchenko. If you look at the things that have really transformed how we feel about the team, our distance is centrally. Ben White's being a big part of that. Zinchenko being there basically everywhere. Look at the heat maps for yourself. Just ridiculous. And um, Jesus similarly. I think those, those three players with Saliba's security running backwards in particular, I think maybe those things have really transformed how we feel. Again, if you add the addition of just the natural maturity of Martelli and Saka on top of that, it's no wonder we are where we are, really. You know, everything's moving in the right direction, isn't it? You know, when you're playing Tierney and Tomiyasu in a Europa League game, you know, that's not too bad, is it? You know, and, and there are many people that would say they should be in the first team, and I wouldn't spend a long time arguing with them about that. You know, so this doesn't just happen, you know. So now I'm talking to you in this way, and I'm not talking to you for a while, chap, so it's nicer, chap. But now I'm talking to you in this way, I'm thinking, mate, they're getting it on Sunday because we have transformed. You know, Ivan Tony will not be pushing us back 
our, our line is higher. He does more damage around the box. He's not going to run from half a line like Marcus Rashford. So I know what I would do. I would squeeze the backside out of them. I would I would really move them around side to side until I find gaps to slide through and then cross across their area, not cross their area. Not cross too soon, Cedric Starling to bend me's head. That's just a joke, right? So, um, so yeah, I, that's the game plan I would go for. And I'm now I'm, I'm really mm-hmm. excited to get there on Sunday, basically. <laughs> yeah, well, w- one big advantage I think we've been handed, uh, Paul, with Martinelli and Jesus not being called up for the Brazil team, they were neither of them were right. That's right, and Correct. and Gabriel Magalha is neither like. There's a couple of things going on here. Look, I don't think there's any chance, as Tim has pointed out, that Jesus doesn't make the team for the World Cup. Martinelli still has to go prove himself. He's got no international football for two weeks. He can just go attack this game with all the fury and and energy of a man that wants to show his national team he belongs in that side, and he do, and he's going to have two weeks off after this game. I think knowing how important international stuff can be for these players, both proving they belong in the side but also being prepared to play for the side – Jesus and Martinelli having two weeks off after this game is huge. They can go attack this game, you know, really show what they've got. Maybe Martinelli, again, more than Jesus, wanting to prove a little something to his international manager as well. I think that's a huge benefit that we're being given. We do have a lot of players that are going to have, I don't think they'll have one eye on on their international break, but, you know, like William Saliba's been called up to the France team. You know, he's going to be a full French international that's big news. You know, is that in his mind? Is Saka thinking about England? I, I, I tend to think that the players won't think that way. But do you think the fact that neither Martinelli nor Jesus, or for that matter, Magalhaes, have been called up could be a little boost for us, especially where Martinelli's concerned? So, so on the Saliba thing, you might as well consider him Brazilian. He's going to be as absolutely fucking nuts about be solidifying a place in the French team for the... Yeah, World Cup, certainly. as mm-hmm. any of the Brazilians uh, yep. like, certainly. we've seen it w- with the fr- like. It's it's really with every team except with a team like France or Brazil. There's just so much bloody competition that becoming an international is just the start of it. So like he he's right there with them. So he'll be fired up. The only issue with Martinelli is uh, he needs not over egg his pudding, right? It's not like mm-hmm. he doesn't come out on fire going like the clappers for 90 minutes as it is. So the it could be a bit of a t- Kieran Tierney thing with him a little bit. Like maybe almost a little less is more. So I wouldn't like him to be too fired up. He's plenty fired up as it is, but certainly mm-hmm. he won't lack for enthusiasm. Uh, they'll all be up for it. The, like just as footballers, they'll be gagging to get back on the pitch and bash somebody again. You know, they won five out of six in a row. Uh, They dropped the ball. Now they want to get back at it. I don't think fire, the energy of the stadium. Yeah, look, uh, it's set up to be a crackling game. We won't have it all our way. Um, But but in general, look, the international breaks coming up after that. I think they'll, They'll have an eye on that, but like as soon as this game starts to come up, the energy of it, it'll be all consuming for them. They won't see yeah. anything further than that 90 minutes. The energy going into the game, the energy of the game, and their motivation, their alignment to want to like just absolutely have a killer performance is going to be there for all sorts of reasons. Um, so I feel pretty good about it. I do like coming out of the Zurich game. The thing I think is Arteta has some new information here. 
He didn't know what he had in Marquinhos. And now he has all this new data about how the guy performed and the chance to work with him to start integrating it. Like he's like, oh, yeah, this is a thing. This isn't a possible thing. This is an absolute thing. Same with Vieira, right? Maybe nothing too surprising there. But even for him, it's his first time to put him in there. Like, I think the feedback on Vieira from that game, people were like, eh, it was all right. I I think I expected, I thought he was really good. But, you know, a coach looks looks at it as a progression anyway. He doesn't look at it as, oh, that's, there's the guy's level. He looks, he says, "Uh, where's he at? Did he do the things I expect? Where will he be at from there and from there? So he'll take that. He'll take Tierney, who was playing much more. He did a lot of that dropping into the midfield, but also had some killer defensive tackles, uh, saving tackles. It was the one he had over by the right-hand post. How do you remember the Zurich game? I I mean, did you watch it four times this week? What's going on here? I I did watch it more than two times. Well, we didn't play anybody else. I had nothing else. Yeah, uh, and people said things about players I liked, and I said I don't agree. So I went back and looked at video to make sure I didn't agree. What else are you going to do? Uh, and argued with them as I, I get very no, angry when I watch I, it. Yeah, um, well, please. So like, mm-hmm. yeah. So the coach has all this new information. Then he goes back to training, and like he's got a sticker twist on with Tierney. Do I pl- do I keep Zinchenkoing him? pulling him into the midfield or do I give up on that idea and just use Tierney up? So like he's been doing stuff with these guys to, to your original point. I've I've changed my mind. This is a great advantage that he's had the chance to work, but more seriously, like he's got data points on these Tommy Asu, Tierney, Marquinhos, Vieira in particular, uh, even Eddie to some degree, right? This is a performance where he gets basically 90 minutes out of Eddie and sees it like, He's doing work with these guys all the time, even if we see them as the uh, couple of them as just slightly shy of starters. They're really close to starters. These are important players to him. Yeah. I mean, I I guess I'd take issue with saying someone like Eddie's really close to a starter, like he's nowhere close to a starter because Gabriel Jesus is extraordinary. say all of them. (laughs) What you can say, though, is here's what you can say about Eddie. He plays every game, and how early do you bring him on? So, like, he's... He's a regular. Yes, he's not a starter, but he, yeah. he's a major factor. Sure. In the- I, no, I, I I totally agree. I was just nitpicking because why not? But, no, but, but you know what it is, Paul? Like the the thing that I think is worth noting to your point, Clive. When we played Zurich, we played with a much changed lineup, and in the last few seasons, when we've attempted to do that, we have looked like a shell of the not great team. Our first team was. We've looked a mess. At any level, yeah. whether that level was Europa League or FA Cup or whatever it was. What I thought was notable about the Zurich game, to Paul's point, we put an Eddie out there and a Marquinhos out there and a Vieira out there and on and on down the line, Sammy. But we looked like Arsenal when we use our quote-unquote first 11. And that tells you the level, that these that these players are able to come in and play the same kind of football. And I do think that that was good to see. I'm wondering, is there is there someone in that group that has an argument for a first 11 place. And certainly Marquinhos is not going to take Pacao Saka's place. Um, I don't think Vieira is going to take Shaka's place, but the Tomiyasu one is interesting. Ben White has been brilliant this season. Nothing short of brilliant. Whether or not he is playing a position that is absolutely natural to him or not is open for debate. Tomiyasu was a revelation last season when he played. Is that the one area where Mikel might be tempted to, to tinker or is tinkering with a formula that has been 
largely really successful, just a mistake to even consider. Yeah, he might tinker, and I hope he can feel he can tinker in four or five places because that's where we need to be, right? So, yeah, one of the things I've been think thinking about. Yeah. We, well, we we have to. The only way you find out is by playing people, and so Marquinhos True. and Vieira were new to us until a couple of weeks ago, and suddenly they're in our minds. You know, mm-hmm. no one would have played Ben White in that sort of inverted position last year, but now he looks very, very good at it, and all the numbers say he's very good at it. That's a good point. So, so I'm, I'm, I'm up for this, and so one of the things I've been thinking about in our enforced break is how we, how we view football and where football is going when it comes to fixtures. I mean, I read this week that they're going to reintroduce third and fourth round replays in the FA Cup. This fixture burden is not going away, right? So in a year when we have a World Cup, we have extraordinary events we've had over the pandemic and the Queen's death. They just move fixes around. They just cancel on fans. They just cancel. And basically, there's one set of people just have to adjust to this more than, even more so than the fans. That's the players. And these games are just not getting reduced. They're getting added to. And I'm starting to think, okay, what does that mean for us? Because that's what I care about. And so suddenly, Vieira, Marquinhos, and Tommy Tini and all those players that played against Zurich, they become incredibly important. And which one of them are going to stay? Do we have to add in more? And what type of players do we add in? Do we need a left-footed centre-back? I think we do. Right? Who's that going to be? Are we going to buy? Are we going to reintegrate Austin Trust into the squad and go with that next season? Right? These are the things that are in my mind. Because football is just a product where people are going to want more and more. The situation this week, and the Todd Bowley discussed this week, I thought was really interesting. Not because, um, not just because of the idea, it was very US centric, but it's another game. And these ideas are out there. These ideas are out there, whether that's the right idea or not. It's all about more games, more revenue, how that revenue is going to get shared. It's another game. And, and who's this again? It's the same subset of players. So for me, player welfare and creating a squad that allows us to protect careers. I tell you, I tell you now, we lose games and we and we get sad about it. But mate, if we ever, I'm telling you, if we ever overplay Bakaya Saka and see what happened to him, what happened to Jack Wilshire, none of us should be able to forgive ourselves for that. You know, because we all want him to start. None of us ever want him well, to be dropped. I, I didn't, None of I didn't us ever want him to be rested. Don't, don't blame me. <laughs> yeah. But do you see what I, the collective we here? Do you see I where see. I'm going? The collective we do we have we have to we have to have the right people around to make sure we don't we are we are not so selfish and desperate to see that kid play every minute of every game. We have to feel differently about this group. We have to feel differently about first 11s and how we assess the team. I think it's something that we all have to educate ourselves on and make sure we're comfortable with those changes. You know, Paul mentioned Tommy Asin White. I don't care. Make sure that we're both good enough that we don't, that it's not a problem. Do you see what I mean? It's so, yeah. it's, and then we yeah. can discuss the differences. And that's where we, that is so much where we need to head to. And that's the next phase of not just this project, but the project for football because the authorities are rinsing those players out massively. And all I can see, I read, I might have been your, you, Elliot, you and um, Kaya talk about, I definitely heard these numbers somewhere, that if we get to the final of all competitions, we're going to have to play something like, 
don't know, I don't know how many games in, in, in weeks, but it's literally every three, four days for like 20 odd weeks. Make up a number, Clive. What yeah, do you feel I, it was? I, I have the number here, actually. It's 213 games over the next 40 weeks. It's something ridiculous. Don't check that. It's right. Just, yeah, just quote it to I, I wish I, It's right. I've, I've got those numbers flying around my head now and I can't get the right ones, but it's something like... Want to be 20, like a 50-something or other, 58 or something. Uh, it, it was. I'm gonna. I'm gonna find a number for the podcast. But why are you? Why are you contradicting my numbers? I told you the number. Just move on. <laughs> but none of that tells me that we're gonna have a week between each game and loads of prep time to work on our pattern of play, etc. Yeah. So there's a new game appearing right in front of us, mate. That's what I'm trying to say. Well said, Clive. Um, well, Paul. In terms of this this weekend and the situation with with our team. You know, I I feel like at at this moment, maybe more than any moment in recent memory, I really know how we're going to try to play, who we're going to use, what the patterns of play are going to look like. And I, I don't think that just benefits us as fans in terms of our confidence level, our understanding. I think it benefits the players, certainly. I I am curious to see if that same sort of level of understanding and familiarity comes back right away against Brentford. One of the sort of interesting stories to this season, I think is the, the debate that's developing that I only want to quickly touch on. It's such a uniquely Arsenal thing. Not, not just Arsenal thing. I think it's a fan thing. Saka versus Martinelli, right? Saka versus Martinelli. And I'm sure, I don't know. I'm not a Liverpool fan, but I'm sure they had a Salah versus Mane at one time, right? I'm sure this kind of thing happens at other teams. Um, Probably not because they don't have two players as good as Saka. Firmino, Jota kind of thing, or yeah, Jota, kind of thing. whoever. Except those were more like for like, right? Like one could play in the other. I'm curious how you look yeah. at this because there is this sort of, oh, Martinelli's gone beyond Saka. What are you talking about? Saka's better than Martinelli. They don't play the same position. They both start. They're both awesome. And they're both Arsenal and probably for a long time. So I don't see the need to do it. But I'm curious in terms of looking at how these two players are mm-hmm. compared What's your thought on making those kind of comparisons? And if that competition, even within the squad, will spur them on? You know, Martinelli gets off to the fast start with three goals. Saka wants to reassert. I mean, how do you think those dynamics play out? Not in the context of how we debated as fans, but in the context of a squad and and yeah. whether, you know, the players are sort of aware of those comparisons or maybe feed into them themselves. Yeah. Uh, look, it's great. And the players themselves will love it. Uh because the alternative is a team in which there isn't that spark, there isn't that bit of comparison, there isn't that competition. Um, like a happening team that's on the bubble has a, a really good balance of competition and cooperation. And like Saka and Martinelli will be sparking each other. If, if Martinelli's having a great game, Saka will be asking himself, you know, is it him? Is it what? What's it like? He'll just be up for it. It's it's a level of competition, cooperation. It's setting a standard, setting a bar. Um, but when you have somebody like Gabriel Jesus at striker, who goes out there from the word go, going like the clappers, spurring on Martinelli, ask you know, f- driving him, forcing him to match his energy. Saka meets that. Odegaard meets that. They're all just going to be sparking each other. So mm. the, 
there be some light level of competition and good luck to like athletes compete? Um, and if somebody's doing stuff, uh, performing at a level that's above somebody else on the other wing, they're gonna, you know, it's gonna, they're gonna, they're not going to enjoy not performing and they're gonna keep coming, trying to push themselves on, push themselves in practice. Uh, just mentally always focused in, not getting caught up in a whole load of bullshit about, you know, oh, woe is me and the coach this and that and the other. Like, there are no excuses. And so you're going to want to go out there and perform. In a complex system, a a well-performing complex system, which a team is, has competition and cooperation built into it. All effective complex systems that survive have a mix of competition and cooperation. Teams are no different. Tierney Zinchenko will be competing and cooperating. Uh, the back line, y- y- you can see the relationships and also imagine the competition between our uh, se- potential center backs, our wingers, our uh, full backs, our midfielders. They'll make each other better. Competition in the right framing, which is what we have. With lots of games, lots of competitions, there'll be times in a season. Now, for the players, they always see the next game. You'll hear all the stories about people traipsing into Wenger's office or uh, Alex Ferguson's office wanting to know why they're not playing the next game. And he's like, he'll set their mindset for, look, I'm resting you here because I want you for the next game or some other, you know, you play his mind games. The All or Nothing documentary, I thought, had a really illuminating moment on that when Sambi was sort of brooding in the commissary. And I think it was Enkedia who's like, yeah. why are you upset? And he's like, I, w- I want to play. I'm not playing. And Kedia was like, you're not the only one not playing, mate. Like, we all want to play, you know? And yeah. I thought that was just a really illuminating moment, you know, in yeah. terms of and, they and don't that, like it, but they know that no, they you know, they're, yeah. It's and, part, and that's it's not, part of the business. Yeah, and that's not great, but then... We didn't have Europa League at that point. We didn't have, we were, I think we're out of the cups at that point. We didn't have five subs. This is a whole new ball game. They all get the, that's the beauty of it. Compete. And if you don't get in as a starter, you'll get, you have a great chance to get in as a sub. And then the next game round, and then there's Europa League and the cups to come. Like, uh, and among the fans, sure, fans are going to fan, but like, yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, look, we're, we're always going to, if you think there'll ever be an end of people debating who the better player is, even among their own players, you're wrong. It's just human nature. And I think, unfortunately, it swings too wildly on what happened in the last game. That's human nature. The more important thing is we have all this talent. And and Clive, maybe a final thing to consider here. We have all this talent now. Are we going to have all this talent in the future? Well, one way you keep the talent in the future is by signing them to contracts. And neither Bukayo Saka nor William Saliba have signed one. We got a question about this on the mailbag pod that you were not on, so I do want to give you a shot at this. Do you have an eye on this issue at all? Are you are, are your thoughts with it? I know as a manager, the last thing you want to be thinking about is contracts in the middle of a season that's off to a good start. You want the focus on what's happening on the pitch. It may suit the players and the manager not to be focused on the contract. I'm sure Adu and the club, though, do not feel that way. Um, what's your thought on the, the Saliba and, and Saka contract situations as they stand? Well, funny enough, there's a lot of chat today sort of saying there's little little things that are being briefed out there saying that Marcelli, Sliva and Saka are in a positive place contract-wise. 
So hmm. this break has maybe given them a chance to progress on those types of things. Saka's come out and already said that he agrees what Arteta says about being positive about the contract. You know what I tend to focus on, Elliot? I tend to focus on what the, what we look like as a team, as a group. Are we going forward? If a player leaves us now, then we would be quite shocked, wouldn't we? You know, because it yes. can't get much better than this, right? So given where we are, youngest right. team in the league, top of the league, you know, it can't it can't get much better than this. So if you don't like this feeling, what's happening in the ground, what's happening about how, how we feel about the team, the unity, if you don't like this, then that's all right, mate. On you on you go. You know? Before we'd be worried about this, knowing we didn't have the right makeup of the, the squad, knowing we we weren't sure where we were with ownership and their investment, etc. We weren't sure the roles of responsibility at exec level. There were things that weren't right. There were people in the squad that were in the dressing room that shouldn't be shouldn't have been, and leaky stuff to the press. All that stopped. So if you don't like this, then I'm all right with it because we'll we'll survive. One thing that is in my mind though, Elliot, just on top of this, I've just seen the England squad announced, and, and Ben White's not in the England squad, and I, that infuriates me because that means we still for me that. We've got we've still got a way to go with our perception um, to the outside world because I don't think you can watch Arsenal and, and say to me that Ben White's not playing well. That's how I feel, and may, people may not agree with me. People may think that the positional change has maybe disadvantaged him, but Southgate plays a back three. I'm looking at that squad with Eric Dyer in it, Tamori in it, I'm Connor Cody in it, um, Mark can, Gray. Can I just in ask you it. a question though, quickly. Hasn't he been carrying a little bit of a knock? He's been getting subbed off. I don't, I don't think he's been totally fit. Is it well, possible? Well, uh, to be explained, I, I may, uh, maybe I shouldn't go too heavy because that may come up to that. But he started all the games that we need him to start, apart from one that we'd expect him not to start. So yeah. there could be that involved. But I still feel we've got a way to go in our, on, on our perception. And, and that's why we worry about things like contracts. Well, I, I don't have that perception any longer. I, I think it's a positive place to be, and we're playing positive football. And I think we should be we should be less stressed about people leaving and more concerned about the right people coming. You know, and um, it, it, honestly, Steve doesn't want to be here. From this year on, we've invested in him, and I think I don't see a problem. Saka's obviously loved, and Martinelli also loved, and I'm just not going to stress about it. It's much more important we have the right environment and the right sort of project end to end ongoing, so that people don't even think about looking out the door. You know, so yeah. Well, I think ultimately, my instinct is that the contracts will get done, but it it may go to the end of this season. I think as long as the season goes the way we expect it to, it'll be fine. the The thing that you have so much power over with these with these players now is. No one can pay like the Premier League can pay. So unless you're getting a big offer from a club that's in a better position in the Premier League, and let's face it, there aren't many of those clubs right now. It's City, and then you pick the one you think a player would rather go to. Would they rather go to United right now? Would they rather go to Chelsea? I mean, Saka, no, for sure. Saliba, I I wouldn't think so. They can pay more. Outside of that, even the likes of Real Madrid and, and Barca, I mean... All right, when those kind of clubs come calling, I get that it, it can be hard to keep your players. But economically, we can probably go, if not totally toe-to-toe, pretty close. So I'm not I'm not super concerned. 
but I do think that this one could run just a little bit longer. I think we should leave it there. There's going to be a lot to finally talk about in terms of what happened on the pitch um, after Sunday, and then we're going to have two more weeks. So we're going to tee up some some fun extra content. I think that we've been keeping keeping our powder dry, so to speak, with some ideas we've had in mind, and those are going to be coming out next week. We did do a loan in Academy Watch on the Patreon side. Hopefully you'll check that out. But All-Star football is back this weekend at Brentford, baby. The only All-Star team you need to watch, Arsenal's All-Stars, back in action. And I, for one, couldn't be more happy about it. Paul's on Twitter. Pause my pants. Thanks, Paz. Woohoo! Clive's on Twitter. Clive PFC. Thanks, Clive. Thank you very much. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter. Yankee Gunner. Football's back, baby. Hope it's a beautiful weekend. Hope you enjoy your weekend wherever you are. And we can't wait to talk to you on the other side of it. We love you, and we will talk to you after Arsenal 10. Brentford, no. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.